Hello, it's almost Christmas, and for this last episode of the year, we're putting you in control. We asked you to send in your investment questions, and we've gone through the inbox and picked out some of the best to put to Fidelity's experts. I'm Richard Edgar, and this is Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation Podcast. I'm joined today by Fidelity's Head of Equities for Asia-Pacific, Marty Dropkin, who, of course, is also the co-host of Fidelity's award-winning Investor's Guide to China podcast, US Equities Portfolio Manager Aditya Koala, and our global macroeconomist Anna Stubnitska. Welcome to you all. Hi, Hi, Richard. Now, let's start with a question from Rob, and he asks about inflation. He says... Lots of financial models assume that inflation will fall rapidly in 2023, but history tells us that the median time period for reducing this level of inflation could be 10 years. At least one group must be likely to be very wrong. So how are your portfolio managers positioning themselves for such a range of outcomes? Now, Anna, I've got to come to you first because I know that you've been doing some work on just how sticky inflation is likely to be. So what do you think? We believe that um, overall inflation should start declining as we enter 2023, uh, partly because the uh, COVID-induced pressures are likely to continue fading uh, and commodity-related disruptions related to the war in Ukraine um, are also uh, likely to to exert less pressure on inflation. Uh, But these are the cyclical factors. Um, I agree with with the spirit of the question um, because we do believe that inflation will be sticky, not necessarily at current levels, but we think that it will be uh, quite hard for central banks to get it back to target of 2%. Um, And we believe that um, uh, over the medium to long-term horizon, inflation should settle at above target, so somewhere between 3 and 4%. Um, And that is driven by some structural factors um, that uh, have been either uh, accelerated or catalyzed um, over the past few years. Um, And we have been uh, uh, emphasizing the three key factors that will keep inflation higher from here. And that's... um, uh, deglobalization, decarbonization, and the process of managing the, the very high debt burden, uh, particularly in the aftermath of COVID. So, uh, in short, over the uh, next year, inflation will come down, but that process of adjustment is not going to be very fast because the underlying components are persistent, and particularly in the countries where we're seeing wage pressures and very tight labor markets, like in the US and the UK, um, we are observing that wage price spiral, and we think that will keep uh, inflation persistent at sticker above target uh, through the year. And over the medium to long term, um, these are the structural factors that will be uh, putting upward pressure on inflation and keep it above target. So above target, but is Rob being overly pessimistic when he talks about a decade before it would come back to target? 
Well, we think that um, uh, ultimately central banks will uh, consciously want to keep inflation above target, so 100 or 200 basis points above target, because uh, that can help uh, uh, with reducing the debt burden. So if inflation stays 100 base points above target over the next 10 years, um, the U.S. can uh, erase about 10% of uh, the debt burden in terms of the government debt burden um, that it accumulated uh, uh, during COVID. So the extra burden was 20%. It can erase half of that. Um, so uh, it, it is a conscious decision, in a sense, from policymakers, we think, uh, to keep inflation uh, a bit higher relative to target. But also, as I said, the, the factors like uh, deglobalization, so reshoring of supply chains, but also decarbonization, uh, carbon pricing, which, uh, which uh, will have to be um, global, uh, explicit or implicit, we need to see carbon price much, much higher, several fold higher from where it is now uh, to achieve that net transition. So all these factors will be pushing inflation higher. Okay, well, let me bring in Aditya now, because um, Aditya, you manage a US fund. And Rob asks how you and other investors are positioning your funds in the light of that picture of inflation for longer that Anna's just set out. So what we will see next year is goods inflation coming down. So if you look at oil price within the next month, year-on-year change in oil price will be negative. We already see copper year-on-year negative. And as she mentioned, that the supply chains are getting better. So, so, so overall, goods inflation will come down. But the service inflation continues to go higher. So what does that mean? It means that the margins in the system will actually continue to deteriorate and the purchasing power actually gets worse over time. So what we are trying to do as investors is to find companies where this dynamic actually is benefiting. One of the areas where I'm very bullish is off price. So as the consumers struggle, they go to lower price points and and then buy there. And so these retailers will do really well. In the long term, consumer discretionary in an inflationary environment doesn't do well because the overall purchasing power erodes over time for for consumers. So that's something we need to worry about. For the positive inflation trade, you need to go back to real assets, to things like industrials, energy resources. They do phenomenally well in an inflationary world. Okay, so some useful uh, hints there. And then, Marty, um, you're in Singapore at the moment. Um, Asia is different, of course, but you can't escape a global wave of inflation. Yeah, Asia is different, but China in particular, Richard, is different. And I think one of the dynamics that we've seen over the last number of years, and particularly in the last period where inflation in the US and Europe has has started to increase, it's been relatively low and relatively stable in China. And so the world watches that, because I think that's been a nice counterbalance to some of the dynamics that Anna and Aditya just mentioned. Um, There are questions as to whether China can continue to maintain low inflation, particularly as it starts to open up. I think listeners may be familiar with some of the relaxation of COVID restrictions that are happening rather rapidly in China. And we could see a period of increased consumer demand. Um, We could see a period of uh, increased travel. Some of the factors that have, have, have been a positive influence on inflation in the U.S., um, I think there are counterbalancing effects, though, in China that might 
that might keep it in a more stable uh, area, which is demographic trends. Um, and still, China is going to move apace. So I think we should continue to see inflation at a reasonable level in China in particular. Um, there's other parts of Asia where it has been a little bit higher. But that, I think, is, you know, if you think about the overall uh, region, then, then the, 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 China being the largest portion of the economy, it should continue to be a bit of a counterbalance. Excellent. Well, I hope that uh, answers your question, Rob. Thank you very much indeed for sending it in. Right, uh, next we've got Enrique, who sends in this question. If I want my equities portfolio to be representative of the global economy today, what weight should I give to China versus the US? Marty, Enrique's question relates to the growing size, not just of China's economy, but also the market cap of its stock markets as well. Richard, it's a question a lot of investors are asking, and clearly the Chinese equity markets, the Chinese fixed income markets are very large, even in comparison to the U.S. and European markets. And for historical reasons, largely due to China being a relatively closed economy, uh, particularly with, with financial markets relative to the rest of the world, investors have been slow to enter. And so this is why allocations tend to be on the low end. Those have been moving up over time. And there are several consulting companies which have advocated an increase in allocations to China, particularly in equities. We've seen investors take up their allocations to Chinese government bonds. Um, That peaked sometime last year and it started to come off a little bit. It came off particularly in the fixed income markets because of the rate disparity. We've talked about that a little bit in the last question. But as U.S. rates rose relative to rates in China the attractiveness of the market started to dissipate a bit. So we've seen some inflows and outflows, but I think the trend continues to go higher. So Enrique is asking the right question. I think China continues to be a market that offers uncorrelated returns and we think is a market that investors should continue to look at. Now, Anna, China and the US are facing different sets of challenges that we've already um, discussed. But what do you and the Fidelity Economics team reckon investors should be thinking about, perhaps from a cyclical perspective? As we enter 2023, we have the Western world uh, developed markets going into recession. Uh, We think Europe and the UK are already in recession. Uh, The US uh, uh, recession is very likely uh, at some point in 2023. So that's quite a challenging environment. Um, And it is not yet reflected in earnings forecast evaluations. So we expect further downsides from here um, in terms of developed market equities. Uh, But at the same time, China is reopening. It's a very asynchronized story. Uh, It's reopening fast, uh, faster than anyone expected. And we think that it would benefit uh, consumption, it would benefit trade, uh, it will support the region, as, as Marty mentioned. And so we are getting increasingly more positive on China from a macro perspective. Um, policy has been very supportive. It will start feeding in. And as those COVID restrictions uh, are removed, we know what, what the economic bounce can be like in the aftermath of uh, COVID lockdowns. And this is the story that we're expecting to see in China next year. So, Aditya, going back to the question about waiting in a, in a global portfolio, it's quite a complex picture, isn't it? I agree with both Anna and Marty that Currently, China has some interesting um, possibilities given 
where they're coming from. Obviously, this year has been quite difficult for them. So as you come out, you'll probably do better than US, where I agree that we're going into a recession and we don't know how the markets will react. But I think just apart from the cyclical element, you can get a global exposure through US companies. And I sort of will maintain that. Okay, and last but not least, here's a question from Lindsay. Hello, I'd like to use this great opportunity to ask your panel about the impact of the growth of passive investing. Exchange-traded funds, ETFs, have grown from about a trillion dollars in 2009 to $10 trillion in 2021, much of which is passive and index tracking. Reuters recently estimated that 40% of the US equity market was passive, up from 20% in roughly the same time period. With much demand for equities now dumb to typical value metrics, to announcements and uh, other intelligence, we don't actually know how it will behave in a recession or the next crisis. I mean, we used to be able to say that however bad a bear market gets, it will typically be business as usual if you tough it out for three years. So, my question is, what do you think the impact of passive could be on the depth and length of the next crisis? Interesting question. Aditya, can I come to you first? So, I think I kind of agree that ETFs are price insensitive. So, on the way up, when liquidity is fine, ETFs will behave absolutely fine. But on the way down, if liquidity gets tight and you need to sell to rebalance, uh, what we'll see is exaggerated moves at the close. So we see that already now um, as volatility has picked up is if there is a down day at the end of the market, end of the day, price reactions are quite volatile as the ETFs need to rebalance simultaneously. And they're doing it in a much less liquidity environment. So I also think on the way down, they are holding on stocks that are still expensive while the rest of the market or at least stock pickers like me are trying to avoid. So um, ETFs have done really well over the last five years. Active equity has struggled as the big stocks have continued to do better. But if we do believe that the average mid-cap or small-cap stocks do well from here, then the active stock picker would actually do better than ETFs. And I'm hopeful about that over the next five to ten years. Um, and Anna, uh, what do you think about um, diversification in this in this context? Well, uh, there is no uh, doubt we are entering or have entered an environment of much higher volatility, um, much higher interest rates, not just in nominal, uh, but in real terms, um, and uh, an environment where perhaps the central banks are less willing uh, to provide liquidity to smooth out market volatility uh, so the central bank put, the so-called central bank put, is uh, much further out uh, there than uh, the markets, uh, investors have been used to over the past uh, 20 years or so. Uh, and that means um, uh, from a multi-asset perspective, uh, in particular, the toolkit should be as broad as possible. We talked about high inflation environment over the next 10 or 20 years, so structurally high inflation. Um, in this case, we, we find that allocating to alternative asset classes, private assets in particular, 
private equity credit, real estate, direct lending can help uh, get uh, uh, higher returns um, and less correlated exposures and should be an, an important part of a uh, well-diversified multi-asset portfolio. So yes, it's a very different environment. It's not just about equity, equities and bonds. Correlations are going to change very likely uh, to, to become positive. Um, and so that means that the fi fixed income part of the portfolio uh, should be uh, supplemented uh, with the other asset classes that I just mentioned. Uh, rich pickings is our title, so I guess that's uh, exactly what uh, what we're after. Okay, well, um, we're almost out of time, but not before we play one last game of the Rich Pickings Parlour game, Hot Cakes and Hot Potatoes. What would you drop like a hot potato, but what would you buy like a hot cake? Aditya, first of all. For me, the hot cake would be precious metals and precious metal stocks. So if we agree with Anna's view that the inflation will be high, and central banks can't raise as much um, rates to match it, then effectively we are in a negative real rate environment for a long period of time. And in that scenario, precious commodities do really well. And so gold and silver should be a natural hedge. And um, precious commodity stocks are actually even cheaper than that with real yields and real dividends. The other thing which is going for them is they're used for electric vehicles and electrification especially silver. So I'm very bullish on silver over the next, I would say medium term, actually. Okay, so all that glistens uh, is a hot cake. Um, and what about your hot potato? Yeah, so my hot potato still is um, long duration stocks with no earnings or profitability. So I would still avoid them because if you're going into recession, um, if they're not earning money, then there is no floor for valuation. And we don't know how to sort of value them, especially in a slowing growth environment. So I would continue to be short that space. Marty, coming to you, what's your hot cake, first of all? Richard, I'm going to talk about the region that I'm sitting in right now. I'm in Singapore, as you said earlier. I think ASEAN is a market that should continue to do well. Uh, there's good demographic trends. The valuations are reasonably attractive. And there's some interesting markets within ASEAN and some countries that we should look at. And your hot potato? My hot potato is going to link to the question that we had earlier on inflation. I'm a little bit cautious on U.S. equities. Apologies, Ditya. But I think earnings growth is at risk and uh, I, 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 I'm pretty cautious there. Thanks, Marty. And then finally, coming to Anna, what are your hot cakes, first of all? I have to agree with um, uh, Marty. I like Asia as a region, but I would pick Japan specifically. I think Japan uh, will benefit from the China reopening story. And your hot potato? So my hot potato uh, would be a pick uh, for the next 6 to 12 months, not necessarily near term, uh, and that would be the U.S. dollar, uh, particularly versus emerging market currencies. Uh, as uh, the Fed approaches the end of the uh, tightening cycle and the terminal rate, um, the dollar should start uh, declining on a more sustainable basis. Uh, over the next few months, and um, we think that should benefit emerging markets. So I would drop the dollar specifically versus EMFX. 
Anna, thank you very much indeed. And that's the end of this program. So thank you, Anna, Marty and Aditya. And also to Rob, Enrica and Lindsay for sending in their excellent questions. And of course, to you for listening. Uh, and if you've been inspired to send in a question, our inbox is still open. You can send your queries to editorial at phil.com. The details are also in the show notes. So that's editorial at phil.com. That's F-I-L dot com. And we'll pick out the best ones to put to our investment team in the new year. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The producer today was Holly Eastman with technical support from Canon Blitz. We'll be back in your feeds in 2023. But for now, from all of us at Fidelity, the season's greetings to you wherever you are and goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.